I think Cynthia's message this morning was for me to be courageous to tell the truth because this is not an easy thing to confront the church with because, listen, the church doesn't exist to make you feel good. The church doesn't exist to make you entertain you or to feed you or even provide you a place to worship. It's not primarily for your fellowship, your enjoyment, or your satisfaction. Now, not all of those things are bad, and some of those belong in the church, but it is not the purpose of the church. If the church is going to be the church, everything must be done in service to its God-given purpose of making disciples. Everything must serve that purpose, or we're not operating the way that Christ told us to operate. And so we have to understand why God gave us the church, why he created the church. And I think just like the time Jesus entered the temple and restored its purpose, sometimes we need a fresh reminder that God gave his church a mission, a purpose. And we need to constantly be on guard against the things that creep in and either distract or deter that mission. And so as we wrap up this series, I want to focus on what we're calling missional mindset. So we've kind of been through four of these, and since I'm a Baptist preacher, they've been alliterated, right? We talked about meaningful membership. We talked about generous giving. We talked about sacrificial service. And this morning we're talking about missional mindset. We need to establish a missional mindset. What does that mean? That's a mindset that filters everything through the mission. So how do, we, how do we do that? How do we get there where we are filtering everything we do through the mission that Christ gave us? I think we do it in the same way Jesus did. We go back to Scripture. We go back to what God said about his church and our mission. And then that's, that's what Jesus did when he cleaned all of that out and flipped all over the table. He says, listen, this is a house of prayer. He went back to what God said. Now, can I be honest with you? That means this morning we may have to flip over some tables that you like sitting at. We might have to run out some distractors that you really enjoy because they're not serving the purpose of the church. Just like Jesus, when he came in and flipped over the tables, there is nothing comfortable about getting down to what the purpose is. But before Jesus could reestablish the mission and the purpose of the temple, he had to clear out some stuff. Now, we can either get mad about that, like the money changers and the religious leaders, or we can welcome it like the blind and lame who now had room to come to Jesus. I pray that we welcome it in the, the second way. Let's make that our prayer this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray as we come to your word this morning that we would allow it to shape us, to confront us, to mold us. Father, we, we want to be a church who, who lives and breathes your purpose for us. Father, we want to be a people that understand your calling on us and then spend our lives in the pursuit of it. Father, I pray that as you have worked and convicted and convinced me through your word that you would do the same thing through your word to those who are here this morning. Father, we pray that you would shine through and that your truth would be illuminated for us this morning. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Open your Bibles to Matthew 28, Matthew 28 at verse 16, where this is what we commonly call the Great Commission. Uh, this is the record of some of the final moments that Jesus had with his disciples, this final summary 
of what he was calling them to do with this new reality. He was alive. He had gone to the cross. He had endured all of that Roman shame and suffering. He had been buried and placed in a tomb. He was alive now. And this is his instructions on what to do with that reality. He had conquered death, sin, and the grave. He was going to the Father for a time. He and the Father were going to send the Holy Spirit to empower them to carry out their mission until he returned. And so this is kind of the final record of that. We call it the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16. If you were there, say, I'm there. All right, let's begin. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a very short passage. Jesus is very direct. And so as we work our way through the scripture this morning, I want to give you three statements to internalize. If you're taking notes, there'll be three statements that I believe are essential to establishing a missional mindset. We have to internalize these if we are going to be people who have a missional mindset. The first statement is this, I have been commanded to go. Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Now, one of the things we have to understand is that Jesus, as the Son of God, always had authority. The Bible says he had authority in his teaching and in his healing, and uh, he cast out demons. But what we understand is he only exercised a fraction of it under the direction of the Father. He even says in one place, I could do more, but I'm submitting to the, like I'm submitting to the will of the Father. And so here we see after he has been crucified, buried, and risen from the grave, he is given all of the authority. He exercises it now in a wider sphere over heaven and earth, over men and angels, over all of mankind. He is the Lord of Lord and King of Kings who reigns for now and forevermore. So Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, right? So that's where we start, all authority. And then he says, therefore... And whenever you see therefore, it always refers back to some previous statement. As in these things are true, so you must, right? That's what therefore in the scripture serves as, a a connection. Sometimes in the New Testament epistles, after a few chapters, Paul will say therefore. And that's the transition when he's gone through all of these things that are theologically true. And he says therefore, and he gets to the application. What does this mean for you? And sometimes when he says, therefore, he's referring back to two or three chapters and and multiple statements or arguments. But here, and he says, all of that, because all of that is true, here's how you should live differently. But here with Jesus, it refers to only one. A singular statement, I have all of the authority because that is true. I am commanding you to go. Because all authority belongs to me, I am commanding you to go. If I am God, if you understand my divinity, you have declared that I am your Lord and you are mine, then go. This then is for every believer. 
The gospel message declares that Christ is Lord. And by accepting that it's true and placing your faith and trust in his forgiveness of your sins and his salvation, you have declared not just that he saved you, not just that you go to heaven one day, you have declared that he is the absolute authority in your life. That's what coming to Christ is, right? It's saying, God, you, you are God, and this is your plan, and I submit myself to you, and now not only are you my Savior, you're my Lord. So Jesus says, since I am your Lord, since I am your authority, since I am God, go. What does Jesus mean by go? Go, therefore, and make disciples. Too often, I think we excuse ourselves from this command because we don't rightly understand what Jesus is saying here. And so we kind of skip over it. Does Jesus telling me to go mean that I have to leave where I'm at and become a missionary, as in go to a foreign place and make disciples? Does it mean go on a short-term mission trip, as in every once in a while, go somewhere else and make disciples? Does it mean that I have to become a pastor or a minister, as in go and vocationally make disciples? What does it mean? It may mean some or all of these things for you. You may be called to be a missionary. You may be called to be on a short-term mission. You may be called a pastor, but it's more than that. It's bigger than that. What Jesus is describing here is what his disciples are supposed to do with their lives, right? This isn't a singular task. All right, go make a disciple. This is, this is what I want you to do in response to who I am. This is how I want you to spend your life. And here's where I think sometimes Understanding, getting some helpful understandings from a place like a concordance can help. The word here, go, doesn't just mean like go do something. It means pursue the journey on which you started or continue your journey. Like continue going to lead your life that way. And so what Jesus is saying here is not just go do something. He's saying as a follower of mine, this is your purpose. This is your mission. No matter your vocation, your age, your gender, your personality, no matter your location, your education, your financial situation, or any other thing that you could hold up and say, well, not me. Jesus says, if you are a follower of mine, this is what you're supposed to spend your life doing. I wish it was more complicated than that. Jesus says, since I'm your Lord, go. Spend your life in the pursuit of my mission. And so if we're going to ever develop a missional mindset, we have to internalize this idea that this command applies to me. I'm sitting here this morning in a pew listening to a pastor talk about something that Jesus said 2,000 years ago, and it applies to me. I am commanded to go. I am a disciple who worships a risen Lord who said to his disciples, go live your life on my mission. We have to internalize the idea that following Jesus is just spend your life on his mission to go and listen. Anything less falls short of what it means to be a Christian. 
Anything less falls short of what it means to be a Christian because Christian means a little Christ, a follower, someone who does what the master does. This is one of those messages that will either make you angry or get you fired up and passionate about what the Lord is doing. Because listen, we got to clear out this nominal follower of Christ thing. It's not in the scripture. we got to clear out this thing that says, I accept Jesus as my Savior because I don't want to go to hell, but I'm not going to follow him. That's not in scripture. Jesus, is, Jesus didn't say, listen, I have some authority to save you, and if you believe that, great. He says, I have all the authority in heaven and on earth, and if you are mine, go. Jesus doesn't call us to a culture of Christianity, a nominal Christianity, a Christianity that only concerns about the afterlife. Jesus calls us to spend our life in pursuit of his purpose. Anything less is not Christianity. We have to understand that this command is not for some people, not for the, the, some Christians. This is for every follower. And the second thing is we have to look more closely at the mission itself. Because the second statement we have to internalize, okay, what are we supposed to be doing? Number two, I have been commissioned to make disciples. So the command is there. You can't get away from it. If you're a follower, your command is for you. But here's your commission. Here's what the mission is. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And this is where we'll spend the majority of our time this morning because this is the very heart of the commission. To make disciples is the only imperative. It is a central command. This is the mission that Jesus gives his church. The Reformed Expository Commentary says it this way, and I thought I, I can't say it any better. The essential commission is not tell people about Jesus. It's not preach the gospel. It's not grow your church. It's not make converts. Listen, Jesus' commission assumes all those things, that that's what we're going to do. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to tell people about Jesus. We're going to grow our church. We're going to make converts. But what Jesus says is deeper. He says, make disciples. And then he offers this simple definition, to make disciples is to lead new believers to maturity so they understand and follow Jesus and eventually become leaders too. Like it's to replicate yourself so that the person you're discipling then makes disciples. That is the way the church is strengthened, that is the way the church carries on, and that is the way the kingdom of God advances into all the nations. So here's, here's two components of this commission. Who are we commissioned to make disciples of and how are we to make disciples? Well, it's pretty clear. He says, make disciples of all nations. But I want to look at some parallels so we'll, we'll really grasp what Jesus is saying. Uh, some of these accounts, Jesus giving this commission in Mark, he says it this way. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Pretty clear, right? Whole world, all creation. And this, he says, that you should proclaim that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem. In the book of Acts, we say, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Each one of these accounts, which are all the same account but different uh, 
perspectives of Jesus' message and possibly even he said all of these things kind of in different ways, but what stuck to each author is what they write. And so what we get here is minor details from each one that are very helpful, but they all communicate the same overall message. Jesus said to his disciples, where you are now, start making disciples. And after you make disciples there, go a little further. And after you make disciples there, go a little further. And keep going and keep making disciples until I return or you reach the end of the earth. Now, it took them a little while to figure that out, right? Like that no one was beyond them. They they resisted. They didn't go immediately to the Gentiles. They didn't start expanding. But eventually they got it. God dispersed them and they carried the gospel to the nations. That was their responsibility. That is the responsibility we inherit as disciples. Like, that's the work. That's the mission. That's the purpose. We inherited that work. It is now our responsibility to make disciples and no race, no ethnicity, and no religion is exempt from our calling. We're not just called to make disciples of one type of people. The people that look like us or vote like us or live next to us. We're called to make disciples of all people. And here's a big implication that I think we miss. Like oftentimes we know we should make disciples, right? But we're waiting on God to bring us that perfect one, right? We're like, I'm going to make a disciple as soon as God brings that person to my life. I've been waiting. I just know he's got somebody for me. The ironic thing is while we are waiting on God to bring us someone to invest in, Literally everyone we meet is a potential disciple, right? If the truth is, if our commission is to make disciples of all nations from where we are to the very end of the earth, then there is no one excluded from that, and we should always be looking for ways to fulfill it. But it's easier to say I'm praying for that right person, isn't it? Every person you meet is a potential disciple. Every person you meet deserves to hear the gospel. So as a believer, Christ has commanded you to live your life on his mission. He has commissioned you to make disciples. And everyone you meet is a potential disciple. If you're a Christian and you're following this morning and you accept that, the question has got to be rolling around this morning in many of you's mind, okay, how do I do that? Like, how do I make disciples? Like, I get it. I'm supposed to be making disciples. I I get the commission. How do I do it? And here's the good news. Jesus told us exactly how to do it when he commissioned us. He says it's going to be by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. Now, we've already established what it's meant by going, that we are to live our lives for the mission of God. Now, let's examine the new component, the next two components, baptizing and teaching. Baptizing them literally into, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's say, I don't baptize anybody. Listen, That's not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying here is, listen, discipleship begins when someone understands and believes the good news of the gospel. That God loved mankind so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live the perfect life we could not live and die the death we deserve so that we could live the life that we never could. We could be saved. He gives us the Holy Spirit as confirmation and down payment of a future inheritance and everlasting life with him. Listen, we then call 
men and women who profess belief in Jesus as their Lord and Savior to publicly identify with Christ through baptism. So when he says baptizing them in the name, that's not just a command for the pastor on what to say. A baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not, it is, that is communicating the gospel to them in such a way that they accept it. And then the natural call is, okay, publicly declare it. Baptism is the first step of discipleship. It's the first step of obedience that says, I am a follower of Christ, and I am publicly declaring it to anyone and everyone who's here. In this day and age, belief and salvation and baptism are sometimes separate, but you know the Bible doesn't really make that big of a distinction between them. When the Bible talks about being saved and being baptized, it's almost used interchangeably because, listen, sometimes people say, do I need to be baptized to be saved? Of course not. But baptism is what saved people do. Do I need to be baptized to be saved? No, but baptism is what saved people do. When people are saved, they want to declare that Jesus is the Christ and the Lord of their life. And so they willingly and publicly identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. And they are declaring they are raised to walk in the new life that he gave them. That's what baptism is. It's not, it doesn't save you. But it is a declaration. And listen, no one in the, the reason it's not treated more in Scripture is because it was unthinkable that someone would publicly accept Christ as their Lord and Savior and the Messiah and not immediately be baptized. It was unthinkable. Now we think, well, I don't have to do that. You don't have to. But if you're ever going to be a fully formed disciple of Jesus, it's the very first step. That's a different sermon. I got off there. I'm going to get back to the notes, I promise. <laughs> Jesus says the first thing is you baptize them. Why? Because that's the first step, right? He's telling us how discipleship begins. It is a call to publicly commit your life to Jesus. And then he tells us how to continue, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And we don't have to guess what that is. We don't have to look for any lost books. We have in the Gospels what Jesus taught his disciples. We make discipleship a much more difficult concept than it has to be, right? We want discipleship classes, and we want discipleship books, and we want the church to provide discipleship, and we make it so much simpler, uh, more complex than it has to be. Listen, this is discipleship, what Jesus says it is. You point a new believer to what Jesus said about an area of their life, and you encourage and challenge them to obey it. Then you support and encourage them. Listen, you help them seek to allow Christ to gain control of that area, and then you point them to another one and another one until they are walking in maturity and able to point new believers in the same way. It sounds pretty simple, right? It's because it is. It's not complicated. It is pointing someone to the truth of God and saying, this is what your life looks like in Christ. And then encouraging and supporting them. And then when it looks like that, going, okay, this is the thing that Jesus said about your marriage, your finances, your children, your job, me, right? Like you just keep pointing until they are able to point others in maturity, right? That's discipleship. It's not complex. It doesn't have to be hard. So why is it that the 
majority of Christians could not name one person they were actively discipling this morning. There are a variety of reasons, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to deal with the primary two that I often hear. Because I'm too busy, or I don't feel like I can. That usually sums up the excuses of why we're not discipling someone. I'm too busy, or I don't feel like I can. If it's the first one, and you think, I don't have time to disciple someone, there might be some tables that, you need, that Jesus needs to flip over. Because if there's something getting in the way of your purpose, it doesn't need to be there. And I can't tell you what that is. But, but you may already know what it is. You may already know that thing that you're, you've been sitting at for too long, that thing that you've allowed to take root in your life that Jesus needs to flip over. If it's your primary mission as a Christian, not finding time isn't a reason. It's a blatant disregard for the mission of God. Let me say that again. Not having time to disciple someone isn't because you're too busy, isn't an excuse or a reason. It's blatant disregard for what God told you to do. There should be nothing we shouldn't be willing to rearrange in our life to make space for this. But in reality, we're really not too busy. We're too distracted by lesser things. And I'm not standing up here saying I have this figured out. My life is just as hectic and busy as most people's, but I am standing up here telling you that it's wrong. It's wrong in my life, and it's wrong in your life. If you are too busy to be on the mission of God, there is something wrong. I've got to deal with that, and you've got to deal with that this morning. The second reason is we don't feel like we can what we mean is I don't feel like I know enough or my life isn't perfect. I want to help you this morning. Do you realize that neither one of those are prerequisites to discipleship? You don't have to know everything and you don't have to have your life completely together. If you did, none of us would ever get to disciple anyone else. Discipleship is not about having it all figured out or having your life all figured out. It is about being one step ahead of the person you're discipling. That's all it takes to lead someone. Amen? You can do this. In fact, in the same passage we find not only have we been called to do it, but we've been empowered to do it. Not only are we commanded, not only are we commissioned, Jesus says that we've been empowered to do it. The, the, the second thing we have to internalize if we're going to develop this missional mindset as individuals in a church is that Jesus has commanded us to go and has commissioned us to make disciples, that it is my responsibility to follow Jesus is to make disciples. The third th statement we must internalize is I have been empowered to fulfill my mission. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Because Jesus loves his disciples, because he knows the weakness of the flesh, because he knows the temptations of the world, he closes his commission with a comforting truth. You don't have to do this alone.
you do not have to make disciples in your own power or alone. He goes on to say that this will be the case until the end of the age. So how is he with us? Through his gifts to us. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that he's going to, he's going to send it when he ascended. He, that was the promise that he was going to be with them to all age. And he's with us through the church, the gifts of the church. The Bible says of the Holy Spirit that it will guide us into all truth. That he will convict and convince. That he gifts us. That he will produce fruit in our life. Listen, the Bible teaches that we have the literal presence of God dwelling within us. You cannot convince someone of their need for Jesus, but the Spirit through you can. You cannot convict someone of their sin, but the Spirit can use you, your words and your presence too. You cannot save someone, but the Spirit can use you to be a vehicle he uses to lead someone to himself. I wrote in big letters, I have never saved anyone, but God has graciously used me to draw people into salvation, whether it's from a pulpit or over a coffee. And I am amazed and humbled that God chooses to use anybody in his business, but he does. And I can't, you can't do that. I can't do that. Just like I can't save someone, I can't disciple them in my own power. If it was up to what J.D. Cutler knew, we wouldn't get very far. But when I lean into the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and his word and his gifts to me, then I, then I grow and I can help others grow. And furthermore, just in case you're wondering, there's no professional Christian. There's no team A and team B. There's no varsity and JV. Like pastors don't get a different spirit than you do, right? Like there's no levels of Holy Spirit. God gave every believer the same spirit. I think sometimes we go pastor or discipleship is for the professionals, Every Christian is empowered with the same Spirit of God, and God will use every Christian who will be obedient to his command and his commission to see people saved and discipled. Discipleship is not for only some Christians, it's the work of every Christian. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us why he gives preachers and teachers to the church. In Ephesians 4, he says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the pastors, and the teachers, what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Doesn't the work of the ministry sound a lot like discipleship? Building up and maturing the body of Christ into the head. We missed it for so long. We think that building up the body means growing a church. We think attaining unity means there's no discord. None of that is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus, or the, the, Paul says that God gave the church and the, the equippers of the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that the, together they would build up the body to maturity. Well, how does that do that? You disciple and you grow up in every way which is the head into Christ, 
The pastor and teacher's job is to equip the saints for that work. Here's the truth. You have everything you need to do the work of the ministry. You have a command. You have a commission. You have a, a equipping from the Spirit. You have everything you need to live your life on mission to fulfill your purpose as Christians to make disciples. As we get ready to close, let me share this summary of the mission given to us through Scripture. Andy Johnson in his book, Missions, How the Local Church Goes Global, gives this summary of the mission. The church's mission is to display the glory of God by declaring the gospel to all peoples, by gathering churches in every place, and by filling them with disciples who obey God and will praise him forever. This last core value of missional mindset is embracing the mission of making disciples and then spending our lives in the pursuit of it. It is measuring everything we do, both as individuals and as the church, through the lens of our mission. And so as we close, I'm going to ask you to do something that may be uncomfortable to you because you're in a Baptist church. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me, okay? I'm going to say it, you're going to say it, okay? I have been commanded to go. I have been commissioned to make disciples. I have been empowered to fulfill that mission. If we will get that, and we will let it settle down in the deepest parts of our heart, God will use this church to reach White Oak and Longview, and he will disciple people through this church and through this body and we will see the effects of that go on for generations that's what's at stake when we say the mission and purpose of the church is everything 